Alright everybody, welcome to episode number 84 of the Between the Cracks podcast. I am your host Bill, and with me as always is my co-host Chris. Now Chris, you see all that is going on here in the BTCRF tonight, bud. There are lights and cameras everywhere, and I know you are a little nervous. I get that. This is the first time you've been in front of the camera, big boy. But uh, you're going to get used to it sooner than later, bud. So I want you to look directly in to that KETV7 camera right now. And you say, hi to good people. Uh, hi. <laughs> Very nice, Chris. Very nice. Chris, your delivery is spot on. You actually reminded me of the great sportscaster, John Fritz Johnson, from the aforementioned KETV7 in Omaha, Nebraska. Have you ever heard of him, bud? Uh, no, I don't think I have. Oh, well, uh, sit tight, Chris, because uh, he's actually the topic of tonight's episode. That's right, bud. Tonight, we are discussing the mysterious case of not only John Fritz Johnson, but also Larry Bader. Seemingly two separate individuals. Or were they one in the same? Hmm, indeed, little buddy. We did mention John Fritz Johnson first, but my heart is telling me that we should dive into Larry Bader first and find out how he ties into old Fritzy. But Lawrence Joseph Bader, who the hell was he? Well, I'm glad you asked. So Lawrence Joseph Bader was born on December 2nd of 1926 in Akron, Ohio. Oh, your hometown. <laughs> Yet another one to add to the list. Yeah, they keep coming. <laughs> uh, his father, Stephen, was a dentist. And Lawrence himself actually did consider following him into the practice. But after a stint in the Navy from 1944 to 1946, Bader enrolled in the University of Akron. However, his grades weren't uh, the greatest, and he ended up flunking out after just one semester. Ouch. Kind of can't be a dentist uh, if you don't go through school. So during his brief enrollment, though, he met Mary Lou Knapp, who he ends up marrying on April 19th of 1952. All right, so here we are, Chris, in middle America in the 1950s. To me, this has the sounds of a storybook ending. It's a stretch, but basically, uh, Mary Lou and Lawrence uh, have a few children together. Three and one on the way, to be exact. Ooh, okay. And Bader, um, you know, he, he takes on various jobs trying to support the growing family. One of which was a cookware salesman job for Lifetime Distributors. Well, I actually read about old Larry here, and he fancied himself somewhat of an entrepreneur, and he had a couple of different um, startup businesses that he was uh, hoping to get off the ground and, and make his fortune from that. But unfortunately, they all seemed to uh, fizzle out after a while. One thing led to another, and you know, obviously he had mouths to feed, and he ended up taking this job as a cookware salesman. And back in the 1950s, door-to-door -door sales was a huge thing. 
And indeed, you are correct. This job was basically kind of way to take on a little bit of debt that he accrued while trying to uh, become an entrepreneur. And through various endeavors, uh, he would fall behind on taxes. It is estimated, I believe, that he did not file taxes from 1951 to 1957. So uh, tax evasion was uh, also uh, knocking at the door. He actually accrues quite a bit of debt, unfortunately, and the number reaches that of around $20,000 in 1950s. Whoa, now hold on a second. We're, we're talking late 1950s, right? Probably around 56, 57. Let me, I got to punch this right into our BTCRF inflation calculator and see what $20,000 in 1957 would be in today's money in the year 2022. But if you give me one second, I can give you a precise answer. <laughs> well, you're, you're not going to believe this, Chris. If old Larry was around today, he would be owing the IRS an estimated $202,000. So that is uh, nothing to shake a stick at. As you could imagine, in a house like this, you have a couple of young kids running around. You have uh, the dad who's out working a job that he does not seem to like. He's becoming increasingly unhappy. And um, on top of that, they owe a huge debt to uh, the IRS. And they will indeed come looking for their money one way or another. This led to old uh, Larry here becoming somewhat depressed and isolating himself a bit. And what he did was to take weekend trips fishing. So as if Mary Lou didn't have her hands full enough watching the kids all week, uh, Larry decides to leave her on the weekends too. Look at me standing on my soapbox, Chris. Jeez, I, I was going to say something, but I just let you go. Yeah, I mean, my God, I'm, I'm feeling for old Mary Lou here. This guy's starting to irritate me a little. Get a fucking job on a weekend, Larry. Pay your shit off. Damn. So what he would do to relax or quote unquote escape his reality is that he would often go fishing on the weekends up to uh, Lake Erie. And on the second weekend of March 1957, he decided to do the same thing. So he got in his car and heads up to Eddie's Boathouse on Rocky River, which apparently has an outlet that leads into the beautiful Lake Erie. So Chris, we have old Larry here leaving Mary Lou yet again and uh, heading out on a fishing trip all by his lonesome. So the interesting thing here is that, you know, Mary Lou actually warned Larry. She said, you know, there's a bad storm coming. All the news outlets are reporting that this is definitely going to hit the area. And uh, more importantly, you should probably not be out <laughs> in open waters in bad weather, especially when you're all by your lonesome. Am I right? Fisherman boy. What? Well, right you be, uh, because what happens is when old Larry decides to go out on this boat, not only was he warned by his wife, but the proprietor, a man by the name of Lawrence Cutler, also warns him that there's a storm coming. Before he takes this boat out, he seems unfazed by this, and he apparently asks to have the boat be equipped with lights. Kotler basically responded with saying, well, it's not going to get dark for hours, so, you know, you don't have to be worried about that. But Larry insisted, 
And one thing worth noting is that Kotler noticed that he was indeed carrying a suitcase with him. Hmm. Now, call me crazy, Chris, but something just does not seem right here. Yes, it definitely would be an odd situation, especially after not heeding any warnings. And he actually gets a final warning from the Coast Guard because they noticed him out in the waters and basically they were like, look, this is not a good time to be out here. So I'm going to assume that uh, Larry here, having heeded the warning from the Coast Guard, took the advice of the brave men and women of the uh, CG and headed safely for shore. And then upon his return to shore, he headed back down to Akron, Ohio to his lovely wife and children. That would make for a fine story, I'm sure. But uh, no, you would be incorrect. Uh, he stays on the boat. What happens next is what all who warned him feared the most. Well, don't leave us hanging, Chris. What happened? Well, the next morning, the boat is found washed up on shore at Perkins Beach in Lakewood, which was about five miles or so from Eddie's boathouse, where he originally rented the boat from. One of the propellers on the boat was bent and the hole was scratched, but there was no sign that the boat itself had, had capsized or tipped over. So there was no additional water inside the boat. The exterior of the boat didn't seem to have any holes in it that would lead to uh, the possibility of the boat sinking. So to me, Chris, this sounds as if Larry just went overboard, either accidentally or intentionally. Correct. And, and Bader not being found or his suitcase. So those were both missing. Well, I'll tell you this, Chris, if you're diving in the Lake Erie in uh, mid-March, <laughs> you could say goodbye to your balls. <laughs> That's, that's got to be like essentially being in an ocean. I'm pretty sure those lakes have their own currents because they're so freaking big. Yeah, that is scary as hell. And to add to that, this was all taking place at night when visibility was next to zero, aside from the little light that Larry had requested. Yeah, and, and so as anyone could imagine, when somebody goes missing, they have to conduct a search. And the Coast Guard did just that, and they made a thorough search of the water, which I'm sure was a production. But alas, we find out that Larry's body was never found. Yeah, and it was after two months that eventually law enforcement just had to give up on trying to find him, whether he be dead or alive. You have to call it quits at some point, so. Yeah, and we find out that uh, later on in the year 1960, that Lawrence Joseph Bader was declared dead. But... Our story doesn't end there, Chris, because you remember in that brilliant opening we came up with, uh, with the KETV seven cameras in the studio here with us, we mentioned a gentleman by the name of John Fritz Johnson, and he was an on-air radio television personality. So let's get into this, Chris. Uh, apparently, and this is the first uh, interesting little uh, tidbit we're going to share with the good people, four days after Larry's boating incident, I believe it was March 19th of 1957, a gentleman by the name of John Johnson, nicknamed Fritz, walks into a restaurant in Omaha, Nebraska, seeking work. And uh, lo and behold, he 
makes a fine impression on the uh, good people at the restaurant, and they offer him a job. Nothing was out of the ordinary. Everything seemed to be well and good with uh, John Johnson. He was new to Omaha and wanted to start putting down roots here, and the first thing he did was look for employment. He showed them uh, the proper paperwork that he had with him, uh, proving his identity. He begins to cement himself into uh, the community with the fine, fine people of Omaha. And he actually made such an impression, Chris, that right off the bat, he was involved with charitable work. And one thing that I read that old Fritzy did was he participated in an event, uh, your favorite activity, Chris, pole sitting. Oh, fuck out of my face. <laughs> oh, we had to, uh, <laughs> I had to look up uh, what pole sitting was. And apparently back in, uh, you know, the 40s and 50s, it was sort of an endurance test where, you know, kids or adults would climb a pole and then see how long each one could sit there. So obviously, the longer you sit there, the greater the endurance. And apparently, Larry did this as a way to help in a charity event. We find out, Chris, that uh, <laughs> Larry beat your record because you had the record of 29 and a half days of sitting on a pole. Larry set the record for 30 days out in Omaha to raise money for polio. I mean, so this guy is making the impression of a lifetime on the good people of uh, Omaha, Nebraska. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, and he's very much liked by people, and he's like becoming a local name that if you're in Omaha, you know who John Fritz Johnson is. And with his popularity, he decided, you know what? This is going to be my home for the rest of my life. So he decided to settle down. He actually bought a home, got married, had a child. Him and his wife even went and adopted a child as well. Now, all seems well and good in the life of old Fritzy here. He is living the American dream. Now, you may be asking yourself, what does Fritz Johnson, an on-air TV personality from Omaha, Nebraska, have to do with the missing father and husband, Larry Bader, from Akron, Ohio? Well, Chris, we're about to tell you, aren't we? Oh, we are. So first off, we were in Akron, Ohio. Then we found ourselves in Omaha, Nebraska. Now, bud, to tie all this together, we're heading to Chicago, Illinois. Chris, what happens in Chi-Town? Well, it indeed actually turns out that our man, John Fritz Johnson... Not only is a man of the people mm -hmm. a philanthropist, Ooh. he also is quite the marksman when it comes to archery. He found himself at an archery booth at a sporting goods convention, and he was doing some uh, part-time advisory work for an archery company, which is what brought him there. But someone's eye catches sight of him, and thinks he looks rather familiar. Now, surely this is somebody from Omaha, perhaps a fan uh, of his TV announcing show, mm -hmm. uh, that, that maybe wants an autograph. Who stopped by to say hello to old Fritzy? Well, uh, you're not going to believe this, bud, but uh, it was none other than Suzanne Baika. How's that? <laughs> well, I'm about to tell you, Chris. It seems that on the uh, fateful day of February 2nd 
1965, the aforementioned Suzanne Pica noticed our man of the hour, Fritz Johnson here, doing a little archery display for the good people of Chicago. And as you uh, noticed, uh, she caught his eye and she couldn't believe that it was Fritz Johnson in front of her. Chris, was she just completely blown away by the fact that this minor TV announcer celebrity was standing directly in front of her face. Well, I would like to say that she was starstruck, but unfortunately this man looked identical to somebody of her past. None other than her own very uncle, Larry Bader. Wait a second. Are you trying to tell us that old Fritzy Johnson from Omaha, Nebraska, may very well be the missing man, Larry Bader? Well, that's what Suzanne is coming to believe here. But Fritz kind of just laughs it off. He's like, I, you, you must be mistaken. I, I'm not the person that you think I am. My name is John Johnson, but many people call me Fritz. We should mention that even though he did have some very similar physical characteristics that uh, Larry Bader had, there was one big difference, and that was the fact that old Fritzy here wore an eye patch due to his ongoing battle with uh, a form of eye cancer that he had been diagnosed with years prior. And in addition to the eye patch, looked a little older, which would be normal, as this is now eight years later. And uh, in addition to that, he also had a... Uh, Oh, what you sport, Chris? A very thin mustache. I don't have a mustache. Um, I, I said mustache, Chris. Mustache. <laughs> oh, in that case, yeah. <laughs> so all this does not deter uh, Suzanne. She's like, no way, man. You are definitely my Uncle Larry. There's no doubt about it. Fritz is starting to laugh this off. So right away, Suzanne gets on the phone and calls her dad, who would be none other than... Larry's brother. So Suzanne's like, listen, dad, this is definitely Uncle Larry. You guys have to get here immediately. So they hop on a plane and they get to Chicago the following day. This sports convention is a two-day affair. So it was announced that old Fritzy would be back for day two. And then upon hearing this, Suzanne, along with her dad, who would be Larry's brother, would be attending the sports convention the following day as well. From this point forward, things start to get batshit crazy. You would think that if Fritz was indeed Larry and he was found out, he'd be like, oh, hell no, I'm getting the hell out of here. ASAP, I am not coming back to this convention tomorrow. I am leaving town immediately. But that's not what he did at all, was it, Chris? Because uh, it's revealed that old uh, Fritzy took his rightful position with his little bow and arrow and uh, continued on with his display the following day at the convention. It's at that point he was then confronted by Suzanne and his brother as well. Chris, how did that meeting go? Well, upon the arrival of the additional family members of Susan, uh, they get a good look at Fritz, and they also conclude that he definitely looks like Larry Bader. This is their family member. But everyone's got a doppelganger, so 
we would need more evidence, right? And so they actually plead with Fritz, can you please come with us to the police station and do a fingerprint identification? Just humor us, please. We, we've been looking for, you know, I've been looking for my brother or uncle for years now, and we've been desperately searching. No one was ever found. Can you please just come with us? He actually agrees and says fine. After, you know, having some discomfort about doing it, he actually does go. And fingerprints are matched and checked side by side, and investigators, authorities, what have you, conclude... What do you got for us? Larry Bader is Fritz Johnson. Holy shit. Back up one second. So Suzanne Bika was right. This was indeed her uncle. Yeah. Let's think of the situation here. This guy, Larry Bader, has been going by Fritz Johnson for years now. When this is concluded that he is Larry Bader, it's a very weird situation here, but this is not a man who is saying, oh, you know, you caught me, it's it's me, I'm Larry Bader. If he realized that he was identified by his own niece, I mean, he would obviously know that sooner or later the rest of the family was going to find out, you know, whether it be in the early 1960s or not, doesn't matter. You know, he was going to be on the first train out of town if he didn't want to be found, even though it took a little bit of convincing, he, ultimately he willingly went to the police station and got his fingerprints taken. And upon hearing that it was indeed a match, from all accounts, he seemed genuinely shocked. So we have a very, <laughs> a very sticky situation on our hands now, Chris. That we do. And uh, it, it actually kind of comes crashing down for not only Larry slash Fritz, but for Larry's former family, because we have to remember that he married, remarried Nancy Zimmer and basically has two children with them. And now he's got four children because his wife was expecting, they had three and his former wife, Mary Lou was expecting at the time. To make matters a little worse, she's been collecting payments from his life insurance because he was declared dead. Yes, indeed she was, Chris. And uh, it seems to me now that I have to do my due diligence, if you will, Chris. I have to put these numbers into the inflation calculator and see what uh, I come up with. Because it seems that Mary Lou, upon Larry being declared legally dead, was receiving monthly Social Security payments of $254, and in addition to that, Chris, she received a payment from Larry's life insurance policy in the amount of $39,500. Now, remember we said that he was declared legally dead in 1960. So, if we took $39,500 in 1960 money and put it here in my pocket, right here in the BTCRF, Chris... In the year 2022, Chris, I would be holding in my hand $378,607.50. As you said, the one who really takes the uh, the, the big uh, blow from all of this is Larry's first wife, Mary Lou, because she is ordered to pay that money back 
money that she had been receiving in monthly installments in addition to the life insurance policy for nearly eight years, thinking that her husband, Larry, was indeed dead. And it does not stop there. Larry's whole world, or Fritz Johnson's whole world, whatever the hell you want to call him, comes crashing down. Because our favorite news outlet, KETV7, Omaha, Nebraska, they decide to let Fritz go. They fire him on the spot. And as if losing your job isn't bad enough, Fritzy's white. There he is, Chris. That is our BTC mascot. My Bernice Mountain Dog, Duke, is right outside the studio barking away at someone in the parking lot. And I'm not going to edit this out, Chris, because he is a fan favorite and a big part of this show. So, uh, what the dog doing? I, I think if you listened closer, I think Duke was calling bullshit on Fritz. <laughs> Duke is running security detail and analyzing this case as well. But uh, let's get back to it, Chris, because uh, as I said... He gets fired from his job, and then the second marriage he had with Nancy ends up being null and void because he was still legally married to Mary Lou. So Nancy says, you know what? The hell with you. I'm out. She splits. So now Larry is jobless. He's been left by his second wife. Who the hell knows what Mary Lou's going to do to him when she gets her hands on him? And we find out that he is the one that is responsible to pay back that $300 plus thousand dollars. And in addition to that, Chris, lest we forget the $20,000 that he owed to the IRS prior to his disappearance. Now, $20,000 back then with some compounded interest. Larry is, and this is all going to tie it together nicely, Chris, officially swimming in it. <laughs> so looking at all this... I'm thinking what everybody else is thinking. This guy is full of shit. He obviously wanted to escape his life and, more importantly, probably escape that debt that he owed the IRS. What better way to do that but to take a trip by yourself and then seemingly vanish into thin air? But we got to go back to Fritz's reaction to when he met his family in Chicago because he showed absolutely no emotion. And they even said that they felt that his responses were very truthful. And at this point, they're left with no alternative but to get Larry examined by a team of psychiatrists. And that's exactly what they do. And for nearly a week and a half, they keep Larry under observation and run a series of tests on him. Chris what the hell was going on inside Larry Bader's head? Well, they do conclude that John Fritz Johnson had no recollection of his former life. They, of course, did see that there was evidence that Johnson's past might have been, a, you know, obviously a good situation to fake your death and try to get out of tax fraud evasion, etc., they basically determined that he had some sort of amnesia, albeit a very rare form, because amnesia doesn't usually happen in where you uh, forget one life and uh, remember an entirely new one. So it's a bit of a weird situation, but they never come back with any conclusive, you know, information that he was, he, this was all a hoax. I don't know, but there is another interesting theory out there. Remember, we said that Larry suffered from eye cancer. 
Well, apparently the cancer had come back and this time it was in the form of a malignant tumor. Some claim that that malignancy created a, a number of issues with his cerebral functioning and more specifically memory loss. But unfortunately that was never determined because we do find out that Larry Bader slash Fritz Johnson died on September 16th of 1966. And whatever answers he had, old Larry took to the grave with him. So Chris, I mean, <laughs> this is a, a very interesting story here. And uh, I think it's time we give our take on it. But having analyzed everything that we spoke of tonight, Larry Bader, con man or victim of amnesia? What says you? Well, we should run through the facts a little bit. It is noted that when Larry disappears, it's between three and five days later that this man, John Fritz Johnson, shows up uh, at a restaurant. One also very important thing worth mentioning, aside from the fact that we know that he was looking to grab a boat that had lights on it, despite all the warnings on not to go out into the water when there's a storm, he had also cashed a check for $400 and paid outstanding bills, such as an installment premium for his life insurance policy, before he disappeared. You add all those things up together, and it sounds quite fishy. What are you trying to say? <laughs> I'm trying to say, despite the tumor in his eye, I'm going to say old Bader here, old Larry, this full of shit. Jesus, I've never seen this side of you. Well, you were the one bashing Larry before. What says you? <laughs> yes, you are correct, Chris. Unfortunately, I did go after Larry very hard and very viciously in the beginning of the show. But that's neither here nor there, because now we stand here at the end of the show, and having analyzed all of this information myself, I think there's nothing more desperate than a person that wants out of their home life, and they must seemingly feel like they are out of options, and at that point, they become very reckless in uh, their decision-making. And I think that's what we have here. More so, if you'll recall, Chris... In the beginning of the show, I mentioned that Larry had, or Fritz Johnson, had identification proving that he was indeed Fritz Johnson. So my question would be, where the hell did that come from? To me, that seems like that had to be something that was obviously planned out. And in addition to that, where the hell did all of Fritz's clothing come from when he first made his uh, appearance in town? So it seems to me that those items may have all been stashed in that little briefcase that he took out on the boat in Lake Erie with him. So, Chris, I'm on board with you this one, pal. I don't care what that team of psychiatrists said, and I don't care what the week-and-a-half-long testing results proved. Chris, Larry Bader, you hit the nail on the head. He is full of shit. And the person I really feel for the most is Mary Lou, because she had just recently been engaged to someone she was dating when this all was discovered. And being that she was Catholic, she could not carry through with that other proposal, and she had to stay with her husband, Larry Bader. Now, given that he did die a, a year later, that kind of, I guess, set 
her free a little bit, but what happens to his debts? Who knows? This, to me, seems like such an elaborate scheme. The way it, it unfolded, all fingers just point to this being a hoax. Yeah, absolutely. And I should have mentioned before that Larry died at St. Joseph's Medical Hospital in Omaha. Mary Lou must have told him, you know, get the fuck out of town. Go back to being Fritz Johnson in Omaha because I'm not dealing with you here. I mean, otherwise you would think that he would have passed away in a hospital in Akron. But no, he ended up dying in Omaha. I don't know, man. I just can't believe that this was a case of amnesia. And you are absolutely right, Chris. The real victim here is Mary Lou and Bader's second wife, Nancy, as well as all of his children. I mean, this guy really did a number on all these people. He damaged a lot of lives. And hopefully for Larry's sake, it was amnesia, but uh, I I just don't think so. We will never know. (laughs) No, we won't. But Chris, that is it. That is the story of Larry Bader slash Fritz Johnson. Quite the tale indeed. But bud, we have no choice. We are dead tired and we have got to get the hell out of here for tonight. So without any further ado, let me give the rundown and we can mosey on out of here. If, <clears throat> now let me do that in my Fritz Johnson voice. If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us at me, tcpod2020 at gmail.com or you can get in touch with us on Instagram, Between the Cracks Podcast, Facebook, Between the Cracks Podcast, Anywhere between some cracks, you'll uh, you'll find us. If you would love to become one of our lovely Patreons, please feel free to click on the link in the show notes. If you'd like to make a one-time donation to uh, the boys at BTC, you could do that by uh, donating to us at our PayPal, which is btcpod2020 at gmail.com. What else, Chris? We also have the merch shop. If anybody wants to purchase some godforsaken uh, BTC merch, please feel free to do so as well. So with all that said, Chris, I have to pack up these KETV7 cameras, get my man Duke, and get the hell out of the BTC RF for the night. So without any further ado, what do you say we wish to find fine people out in podcast land the fondest?